Rents are soaring and the waiting lists for social housing are getting longer. Britain's housing crisis is reaching a volatile new tipping point. As the Bank of England ratchets up interest rates, homeowners and renters alike are seeing their incomes squeezed, simply for putting a roof over their head. Some experts are warning things are getting so bad that a 2008 sale crash could be on the way. This week's episode of the iPodcast, we're joined by our very own expert, I's housing correspondent Vicky Spratt, to discuss how Britain bet big on the housing market and lost. Later, Vicky will be answering your questions on all things housing, from leasehold to getting your deposit back. But first, let's explore how we got into this mess. Vicky, thank you so much for joining us. I want to start at the very beginning, if we can. Where did these sort of troubles begin? We could go really, really far back, but I'm going to pick a particular point in time, which I think really sets up the housing crisis as we are experiencing it right now. So it's convenient that young adults are the hardest hit by this because the date I'm going to pick is 1988, which is actually the year I was born in. (laughs) I am as old as the 1988 Housing Act. Is that a coincidence that this all began with you? (laughs) You'll have to consult my horoscope. 1988, okay, ground zero for the housing crisis that we're in now. Margaret Thatcher is the prime minister and she and her government have a vision. What they want is to become a majority homeowning country and to make it easier for private landlords to be private landlords, to make it more attractive to invest in housing. They don't particularly like social housing. They also introduced something called right to buy before Mm -hmm. the 1988 Housing Act, which has sold off social housing, made it easier for council and some social housing tenants to buy homes of their own at a discount on market value. But that's really ground zero for where we are now. And what the 1988 Housing Act also did at a time when we're selling off our social homes is it made the private rented sector regulated in favour of landlords, deregulated it, got rid of renters' rights. Before the 1988 Housing Act, we actually had rent controls in this country. No, we didn't. I did not know that. We did. We had a rent valuing office. So what did the rent valuing office do? Looked at how much landlords should be charging for rent. We had something called fair rent tenancies. Oh my God. Yeah, most people don't know that. And the 1988 Housing Act also introduced no-fault evictions, also known as Section 21 evictions, which today are a leading cause of homelessness. Lots of other stuff happened too, but I would say that really is where the problem began. Now, what we've also got going on at the same time as all of this is the Big Bang, the explosion of consumer credit in the city in the 80s. And that made mortgages available to people at large scale, really, for the first time. It was happening in the 70s, but this is really the explosion of that. Then we get to the 90s, the introduction of the buy-to-let mortgage. So following on from those Thatcher deregulations, the buy-to-let mortgage comes in. It's easier for people to get buy-to-let mortgages to become landlords, buy up homes and rent them out. And then while all that's going on, because mortgages are more available for the first time, people can buy houses, you know, in large numbers, house prices start going up and up and up. 
And for the last three decades, house prices have outpaced wages, so they've gone up higher and faster than people's earnings have. Still with me? Yeah, it's really, really bleak. Yeah. Well, let's talk more about those house prices. It seems like rising house prices are just a fact of life. But we're kind of stuck, aren't we? Because people who own houses don't want their value to drop, but people who can't afford houses do want their value to drop. How have we ended up where we are? We're between a rock and a hard place, I would say, right? It's really, really rough. If house prices fall, I would be impacted Mm. by that. It's not unilaterally a good thing for that to happen. I know lots of people who can't buy think that it would be good, but it would be bad for the economy if we had a huge house price crash like the one we had after the global financial crisis in 2008. But the reason that it probably won't happen is I simply don't think the government would let it happen. Mm. So cast your mind, Molly, back to 2020. A lifetime ago at this point. We've we've all lived several lives since then, but pandemic has begun. First lockdown, March 2020, the government decides to freeze the mortgage market, freeze the housing market. Nobody could buy, nobody could sell. Why did they do that? Because that uncertainty could have caused the housing market to crash. The external economic uncertainty caused by coronavirus. And that would have been really, really bad for our economy. So they protect the housing market at all costs. We come out of the first lockdown. What did they do? They introduced a stamp duty cut. For anyone who doesn't know, stamp duty is the tax you pay when you sell a home or a property to make the housing market start moving again at a Mm -hmm. time when people were cautious. So I think it's unlikely that house prices will fall, which is kind of why we are where we are. Mm. So that stamp duty cut combined with lots of people sitting at home during the pandemic and thinking, I really want a garden or I might leave the city and move to the countryside meant that the market got really, really, really hot. And lots of people were moving, lots of people were buying, selling. House prices were already high before the pandemic. And what happened 2020, 2021, 2022, they hit an all-time high. Mm. They have never been so high across the country. But at the same time, house prices hitting a historic high has meant that house price affordability has hit a historic low. So we're in this mess where we can't really afford for house prices to fall because of what that would mean, especially for people who bought at the top of the market. But they also can't go much higher Think of the relationship between house prices and earnings as an elastic one, right? House prices have been able to go up because people could borrow. When credit was cheap, after the global financial crisis, we had historically low interest rates. People could borrow, investors could borrow, and house prices were going up, so it looked like a really good investment. But that relationship between house prices and wages is is fundamentally linked. And if it becomes completely unhinged, which is where it is right now, that elastic starts to fray because banks won't lend so that people can borrow to Mm -hmm. pay the high house Mm -hmm. prices. So we're kind of between a rock and a hard place, which I think we'll see the housing market stagnate, which is what's happening. The latest stats show that there aren't that many new buyers entering the market as there have been in the past. Well, I'm keen to ask a bit more about the sort of impact of all of this, which you're touching on there. I mean, I'm a young person stuck renting. I hardly need to ask. But the impact of this lack of affordability Where's that left many people? Well, actually, we are still a majority homeowning country. This Mm. is, I think, what often gets forgotten. 65% of Brits do own their home. But more people than ever rent from a private landlord. 4.4 million households. That's households, not individuals. Wow. So the estimates as to how many individuals that is range between 11 million and 20 million, depending on who you're talking to. Mm -hmm. So what we've got is... More people in the PRS, private rented sector, where rents are high and because of the Housing Act 1988, 
conditions are unstable. You can be evicted at any time through Section 21. And we've also got less social housing than we used to have. So you have more people on the social housing waiting list. Like mm-hmm. nationally in England, that is currently over a million people. Oh my gosh. And as of this week, we know that over 120,000 of them are children, families with children. That is more than 4,000 classrooms of kids. Wow. Homeless and waiting for a social home. And that's related to what's going on in the private rented sector because of those high rents. Lots of low income renters rely on housing benefit to pay their rent. And housing benefit has been frozen since 2019, 2020. So, I mean, it does have, as you say, and as your reporting has demonstrated so many times, this huge real world impact. Now, this has clearly been a problem, again, as you've outlined, generations in the making, kicking off in the late 80s. But things have got worse recently, haven't they? I mean, I'm going to bring you back to Liz Truss and and everything that happened there. It did take a turn for the worse. Yeah, it's gone from very bad to really, 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 really bad. (laughs) And then more recently, a little bit less bad. Why is that? Well, just for context, also because of the social housing shortage, we now spend more on housing benefit than we do on most government departments. So this isn't even efficient politically, right? It, It makes no sense why we wouldn't fix this crisis. But, but why has it gone from bad to worse? Well, partly Liz Truss, partly it's pandemic house price inflation. But I, I think I think Liz Truss was a real turning point. So her so-called mini budget, I say so-called because it had a major impact. <laughs> maxi budget. Like, yeah. No, yeah, maxi budget. No one, no one thinks it was mini. Like it, she nearly crashed the economy. It was anything but mini. What happened is her unfunded tax cuts that she was proposing spooked global financial markets. That caused the cost of borrowing for banks to lend mortgages to go up. And that's how mortgages are priced. So they passed those costs on to borrowers, which saw mortgage rates go to north of 6%, which is really high. We've been in super, super low interest rates, the era of cheap credit since 2008. That cheap credit fueled the housing market because it helped people who wouldn't otherwise be able to afford to meet high house prices to do so. Mm-hmm. Rates were going up anyway because of inflation that came in partly as a result of the lockdowns lifting. That's a global issue, partly because of the war in Ukraine. And Liz Truss's mini budget caused mortgage rates to soar even more than they were as the Bank of England was putting up interest rates to try and manage inflation. That has left the housing market not in a great way. Rates have stabilized and come down. We haven't had a crash as bad as lots of experts were telling me last autumn we would have. But widely, house prices are still expected to fall by between 10 and 15% this Mm -hmm. year. And we are in a bind for all the reasons you and I have just discussed. We don't have enough social housing. Private rents are also at a historic high. And house prices are at a historic high. And now it's more expensive to borrow to buy a house. And if you've already bought one, it's getting more expensive to pay it off. Mm. I think what we're going to see is that owning a home, unless you are very wealthy and you had a huge deposit or your parents gave you a huge deposit, is a little bit like renting from the bank. Mm -hmm. It kind of sounds like the worst of both worlds in a way. I mean, in many ways, actually. But if house prices come down maybe 10 or 15%, people who have bought houses are going to sell them at a loss. But also that's probably not going to be enough to allow people who want to buy but currently can't to get on the ladder. Like, will that improve anything for anybody? Um, would house prices coming down improve anything for anyone? <laughs> yeah, it would, right? Like, it might help some first-time buyers get on to the housing ladder. 
But what we saw after the 2008 global financial crisis was that when we had a housing market crash, it was actually investors who swooped in Mm. because they have money. They can invest. They know that they're going to get a return. And actually, first-time buyers did not benefit from those house price Mm -hmm. falls. So it wouldn't necessarily be the boon to generation rent that people think that it is. It would also leave people who have bought at the top of the market in the last, I'd say probably four or five years, but particularly the last two or three, in negative equity. I'm currently in negative equity to the tune of £20,000. And because I'm remortgaging at the moment, as I wrote in my column about this, that means I have to give the bank money to keep my house. If I'm going to keep living there, it might go back up in value. I'll probably be fine. But for anybody in my position, I used the government's help to buy equity loan scheme, particularly people who've used the government affordability schemes. This could be a big problem. And a house price crash, downturn, fall, correction, whatever you want to call it, Correction's less scary, but it basically means crash. (laughs) Would hurt those who borrowed the most and had the least money in the first place more than it would hurt people who bought 10, 15 years ago and have made loads of money on their home, Mm -hmm. which means they have lots of what's called equity. Okay. Well, I think we've established through your very impressive potted history of the entire housing crisis that we're in a pretty bad state. I'm keen to probe you more on this after a very short break. Vicky's reporting on the housing crisis has held ministers and decision makers' feet to the fire over this vital issue. To support this important work and keep up with all the latest news and features, consider a subscription. Go to inews.co.uk forward slash podcast and get more than 30% off a digital subscription to I. I for Open Minds. Subscribe today. I'm going to stop talking now and let other people have a chance to quiz you because we have got questions from our readers, which I'm very keen to get your read on. The first one is from James and James asks, what would need to happen to cause a house price crash? James is really, really after a house (laughs) price crash, isn't he? Well, I think probably we are going to see house prices come down anyway. That is, as we've been discussing, what a lot of experts are expecting. And, And the conditions for that really are people are finding it hard to borrow to meet house prices where they are. Banks are not going to want to lend on house prices that they think are going to come down. But what's really interesting here is kind of behind the scenes last year, the Bank of England quietly, not that quietly, but unless you're me, you probably weren't paying attention, scrapped the affordability threshold that was introduced after the global financial crisis in 2008 when the housing market crashed, which was like a stress test for how much people could borrow. And I think that's because they knew rates were going to go up Mm -hmm. and house prices were really high and otherwise people wouldn't be able to get mortgages. So we're kind of already in a situation that is the perfect conditions for a house price crash, Mm -hmm. rising interest rates, high house prices and wages that have not gone up as quickly as those house prices Mm -hmm. and global inflation, which probably will cool but not disappear entirely. But it will be prevented because banks are doing things to keep lending mm-hmm. turning over mm-hmm. and we saw also this week the introduction proposed introduction of a 100% no deposit mortgage for renters yeah. by Skipton Building Society which is another example of a sort of innovative credit product what do you make of it well what i will say is and in the interest of balance 
This is the first time since the global financial crisis we've seen 100% mortgages Mm -hmm. without guarantors introduced. On the one hand, it might help renters who've proven that they can pay rent every month get mortgages. What's the difference between paying your rent and paying your mortgage? Mm. You own the flat. But I do worry that with house prices where they are currently, encouraging people to take out 100% mortgages when house prices might come down is not the most responsible thing Mm. you could do. Surely the interest they're going to slap on that as well will be pretty high. As I understand it, that particular mortgage product will be a fixed rate. Okay. But that fixed rates right now for a five-year fix are around 4.5%. So it's not cheap money. It doesn't sound like a silver bullet then. It's a bullet. (laughs) So there's a couple of questions also about leasehold here. Emma says, and I'm just going to use Emma's words here, please God, when will leasehold be abolished in England? And somebody else asks, if the King's speech has changes on leasehold this year, will it solve the problem? I think a lot of people might not know what a leasehold is. So if you could give us a little overview before you get into Emma's cry for help there. Oh, being a leaseholder is very stressful, isn't it? Okay, what what is leasehold? Right, so imagine I'm a medieval land baron. Hard for me to do, but I'll go with it. All right, we're there. And I've got loads of land and I think that I might be able to make money off it. So... I build some houses on that land and I sell them, but I don't want to lose all my land. So what do I do? I say that people only own the houses for a certain amount of time, Mm -hmm. 100 years being the most common amount of time. So they can buy a house and give me the money, but they also have to pay me rent to live in the house. That's what leasehold is. Okay. I say medieval land baron because it is related to feudal systems of land ownership. That Mm -hmm. is literally how old the leasehold freehold system is. So I'm understanding now why Emma is asking, please God, for this to end. Will it end? Well, Michael Gove, housing secretary, shaker up in chief of various government departments. Not everybody likes what he does. Certainly when he was secretary of state for education, he made himself very unpopular. As secretary of state for housing, he seems to be making himself quite unpopular with some of his conservative peers who think he has, and I quote from a piece that one of our colleagues wrote this week, taken Jeremy Corbyn's housing policies. He wanted to abolish leasehold completely. It seems that that isn't going to happen because of a reported rift with number 10. But there is legislation coming, let's hope it's not delayed, which will cap ground rents, make it easier for leaseholders to choose their management company. Now, this is another big problem. Lots of the big freeholders also have other companies which manage the buildings. Uh So not only do they say, hey, buy this flat from me, I'm going to charge you rent as well as you having to pay your mortgage to the bank. Actually, my company are going to service the building and we're going to send you the bill. So another thing they want to do is make it easier to choose the management company so Mm -hmm. that leasehold homeowners have more scrutiny over the bills that they receive. I'm going to move on to rental deposits. Darren is asking, how do I get my deposit back at the end of my tenancy if the landlord is refusing? Yeah, that's not supposed to happen. So it is illegal for a landlord to not put their tenants' deposit in a deposit protection scheme. Mm -hmm. Darren's deposit should be in one and he should be able to dispute this with whichever scheme it's in. If his deposit is not protected, then he can take legal action and should. And if not, talk to a charity like Shelter, talk to Citizens Advice. Mm -hmm. If you worked with a letting agent, talk to them. Isabel, similar thread, is asking, how do I hold a landlord to account without risking a deposit or a reference. So I imagine she's in some sort of battle, but doesn't want to go full gloves off in case it ruins her chances of getting her deposit back. 
I think Isabel speaks to a situation that lots of renters find themselves mm-hmm. in. You know, this idea I've talked about quite a bit, and I have a whole chapter in my book actually called The Good Tenant. If you are a renter, a private renter in particular, you walk on eggshells Mm -hmm. because ultimately, for as long as we've got Section 21, no fault evictions, you know that if you complain about a leak or whatever, your landlord could just chuck you out and they never have to give a reason for doing that. Mm. And I think this is the problem. It means that actually making complaints, which are really important about mold, about damp, about leaks, about vermin, feel like a difficult thing to do because you don't want to be made homeless. Yeah. This situation shouldn't be happening. Isabel should be able to hold her landlord to account for whatever the problem she's having is. But the reality is, for as long as we have Section 21, I imagine she does fear what's called a revenge eviction. If it's an environmental health issue like mold or damp, I'd recommend getting in touch with the local authority for wherever mm-hmm. she lives. Best case scenario, they can compel the landlord to take action. But of course, risking a reference is a legitimate concern to have. That's really messed up. Yeah, totally. you You can't make a complaint about something legitimate because you're worried that you won't be able to find a house in the future. Mm. What fresh hell is that? Yeah, agreed, agreed. Moving on to shared ownership, another one where you might have to explain for people who aren't necessarily familiar. I'll give you Lily's story and then maybe you can contextualise it. So she says that she's a shared owner, unable to sell or remortgage because her flat has not been remediated. They believe it could take years. She says, many shared owners in my block now face unmanageable bills and are in serious debt. Some have inquired about selling to cash buyers. And we were shocked to learn that if we were to do this, we would have to cover any losses on the share owned by the Housing Association, as well as face negative equity. That's because the Housing Association is apparently entitled to an RICS valuation. I have no idea what that is, so you're going to have to fill me in. None of us were told about this when we bought our flats. Who is monitoring distressed sales that shared owners are forced into and what happens to them afterwards? Oh, poor Lily. Her story, sadly, is not an uncommon one. And it speaks to the plight of thousands and thousands of shared owners who are caught up between two parts of the housing crisis. So I think to understand where she is, we need a little bit of a housing dictionary moment. Yes, please. Okay. Firstly, what is shared ownership? Shared ownership is an affordable model. I'm using affordable there in the government sense of it supposedly being affordable of home ownership, which means you buy a percentage of the property. So you might, with your tiny deposit, buy 35% and then you have to pay rent on the rest. The idea is that over time you save up money and you do what's called staircasing so that you could eventually get to owning the whole thing. What is remediation? Remediation refers to the cladding crisis, and that is the work that needs to be done to remove dangerous materials, namely cladding, but not always just cladding, from the building. There is a really big fight going on between developers and Michael Gove about who should pay. So Lily is caught in between all of this, right? Her rent is probably going up. Her mortgage may have gone up. She doesn't know who is going to pay to make her building safe and when. As a result, she can't pay. She's getting a RICS valuation. What is RICS? Royal Institute of Chartered Surveyors. Okay. They are going to say, well, the building's unsafe, so it's not really worth anything. And she's caught between the crosshairs of all of these crises. So where does that leave her in terms of next steps? What can people in her position do? Sell to a cash buyer if you can find someone who wants to buy an unsafe building. Which is... Nobody in their right mind. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
it's very, very difficult and you are unfortunately stuck. I feel like we've given Lily a terrible answer other than to just say you're not alone in this and it's really awful. It's happening to lots and lots of people. There are brilliant campaign groups who are lobbying hard on this. I actually have a friend in this exact situation bought a flat 10 years ago with one of her best mates who has since got married and had a baby. So they need to sell the flat. It's covered in wooden cladding. They cannot sell it. They are stuck. Okay. So Gerard asks, Vicky, what are your thoughts on a land value tax as a way of combating the housing crisis? So for people who might not know, what is a land value tax? It's a way of raising money based on the value of land. So not what has been built on the land, Mm. but on the land itself. Because land is really what makes housing or commercial property so expensive, right? You buy the land and depending on where it is, it might be worth a lot or not a lot. And then depending on what's built on it, it might be worth more. So its value can change over time. And a land value tax is a way of taxing the value of that land as that value changes and using the money to go back into the state for things like infrastructure projects, building social housing, or I don't know, a road somewhere that's needed. Economists love land value taxes, Molly and Gerard. Why do they like them? They think that it's a more efficient way of taxing property than, for instance, the stamp duty tax, which we have when you sell. Would it be a good idea? I think probably yes. I don't know if it will ever happen. Why is that? Well, Again, cast your mind back to Margaret Thatcher, poll tax. New taxes are really unpopular. Mm. So politicians want to win elections because they want to be in power. You don't win elections by telling people you're going to tax them. It just doesn't happen. So I don't know if we will see a land value tax, but economists generally agree that they are good. Well, let's hope we can get some more practical advice, Vicky, on this next one. Fran is asking, where is the best place in the UK to buy right now? Well, the answer to Fran's question really depends on what she wants, right? Where is the best place to buy in the UK? Well, where do you need to live? What do you do for work? What kind of place do you want to live? Do you want to live in the middle of nowhere? Or do you need to be by the sea? Mm. Do you want to be on a mountain? Do you need to be in the city? Are you a key worker? There are many, many variables. If Fran is talking about what I suspect she's talking about, which is where is it cheap and affordable to buy a house? I looked into this for her and parts of Cumbria and Ayrshire in Scotland. Oh, lovely. Pretty as well. Gorgeous. The problem is the places that people need to be for economic reasons, because there are jobs and schools and opportunities, are not affordable. Mm. And that is why we have a housing crisis. Well, that's part of the problem. And you've reported on this as well, where people are actually being priced out of the areas where they want and need to live. People can't live near their families. So, you know, yeah, you might be able to up sticks and and move to Ayrshire, but you also might not. Yeah. I mean, maybe Fran's a remote worker, digital nomad. So she might love it up there. Really beautiful. I'd love to live in Ayrshire. Also, with the climate crisis, if temperatures do keep rising... The experts I've spoken to about that think that we should all be buying in Scotland. So well, she might be on some Escape two crises but in one. But now that we've said that, Ayrshire won't be affordable. So <laughs> Sorry to the residents <laughs> nearby. Um, Jade asks a question which I think is very pertinent here, which is, are there actually any affordable options to buy as a single person? Buying a home as a single person is more difficult, particularly if you are a woman and you have caring responsibilities and women generally earn less than men and are more likely to have childcare obligations. 
according to the Women's Budget Group, there is nowhere, not a single place in the UK where it is affordable for a woman on her own to buy or rent a place. Or rent. Or rent. The options available to single people, I am a single person, I am also a homeowner, are affordability schemes, like help to buy, like shared ownership. They come with their own problems. We've talked about shared ownership. Help to buy, by the way, has also got an inflation-linked loan, which I'm having to repay, as well as my mortgage. So not straightforward. That scheme has just closed. The government are talking about maybe bringing help to buy back. My understanding is that that is going to happen, Mm -hmm. but it's something that Rishi Sunak's team are very keen on. What it will look like, whether it will look like the scheme that I took part in, I don't know. So I would say those are the options, unless you earn lots of money, in which case as a single person, maybe it's less of a problem. But because house prices are so high and affordability is so low, buying, if you're not part of a couple or you don't have a friend, is really, really tough. We've got a final reader's question here, and that is from Jennifer, but she is speaking on behalf of Richmond House residents. She says, as flats are an important first rung on the housing ladder, as well as often being the last rung for those who are downsizing, what would be the most effective way for the government to restore confidence in the market for buying and selling flats? She asks, is it another round of help to buy or is it just that the government has to step up and fully fund the remediation of cladding and building safety defects on all flats, which she notes has happened in Ireland? Mm, Yeah, Ireland and Scotland always have better housing policies than England and Wales and Northern Ireland. What is the problem with flats? Flats are a big problem. Why? First time buyers tend to buy flats. And in recent years, we have seen that flats are just not very good investment. They go down in value. There is something called the new build premium. If you buy a new flat as a starter home, you're probably going to pay over the odds. And then it might not hold its value. Mm. And the help to buy scheme, and I'm a victim of this too. The help to buy scheme meant that developers could build new flats, charge X for them, propped up by the government. And then if they've gone down in value over time, they don't care, they've sold them. And you might be stuck with a flat that's not worth what you paid for it. Because of course, it's not like a house that you could do work on and make Mm. bigger, has a garden that's going to maintain its value and be desirable. Unless you're talking about a penthouse somewhere that's in the luxury property market. Flats are a problem. So I think this is a really good question. What could the government do? Help to buy 2.0, but that really just helps house builders sell flats that are quite expensive, propped up by the government. I think cladding would be a good place to start, promising to remove cladding on the flats that already exist, Mm. but making sure that all new builds are really good quality and really safe. But I think there is a bigger problem here, which is about the premium people pay for these starter homes and that house builders know people are really, really desperate. So they can charge a bit more than maybe they should for them. They want to make a profit. Ultimately, house builders are in the business of making money. I do think flats are a problem. It doesn't really get discussed enough. We've talked about so many of the negatives here. And sadly, I think our answers to many of these questions have just been, I'm really sorry. So is there anything to look forward to? You want some good news to end on? I want some good news to end on. I am by nature an optimist because I have seen change. And there is change, I am told, coming very, very soon. Imminently, in fact, the Renters Reform Bill, which was promised by Theresa May, remember her, in 2019, which will end, hopefully, no-fault Section 21 evictions and bring in other things for renters which have been rumoured to include longer and more secure tenancies and maybe even in-tenancy rent regulation, let's see, is about to drop and hit Parliament. 
it was supposed to be the other week. It got delayed. I'm told it's happening. It's coming. That's good news. But remember, of course, legislation takes time to work through Parliament. So that change, even if it does finally hit Parliament, has to actually make its way through the legislative system. And of course, for it to do that in whatever form Michael Gove presents it in, it has to be voted through. And what I'm hearing is that some Conservative MPs are not happy with the proposed legislation. Interesting. So some light on the horizon, but very much a long way to go. Yes. And actually something else that I think we should take heart from is there's been lots of good stuff on social housing since Michael Gove became housing secretary. Mm. And much of this was actually, in fairness to Theresa May, continuing work started during her brief period as prime minister. That Her tenure as prime minister is often overshadowed by Brexit. But she did do a lot of work on social housing. And she really, post-Grenfell, wanted to push on social housing reform to give social housing tenants more rights. Michael Gove has pushed all of that through. So there has been change on social housing. Mm private renting, incoming, people who own their homes, who are dealing with cladding. Sadly, it seems like there are just ongoing fights, and particularly on leasehold reform, what we've seen with this rumoured rift between Michael Gove and Number 10. Really, this is a live political issue, and it feels like, this is true on the left too, in fairness to the Conservatives, but it feels like the Conservative Party just cannot agree on building new homes, how many to build, where we're going to build them, whether they should be truly affordable social housing or help to buy or completely free Mm. market. And unless there's consensus, the stories like the ones we've heard today will continue to flood in because real people are caught up in these ideological debates. Absolutely. And I think you've outlined that so many times in your reporting. So thank you so much for all your work on that. And also thank you so much for answering all of these questions. That's all for this week. You can follow Vicky's reporting as well as breaking news, in-depth features and insightful political analysis at inews.co.uk. If you're interested in keeping up to date with everything housing, do subscribe to Vicky's newsletter, Home Front, which is delivered right into your inbox every week. We've left a link to that in the show notes. As ever, we would love to hear your feedback. So drop us a line at podcasts at inews.co.uk. I'm Molly Blackall. You can find me on Twitter at Molly Blackall and on Instagram at molly.blackall. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week.